You know, we've been doing this series of uh, meet, meet the Neighbors uh, the last Sunday of each month, and today we've kind of co-opted Meeting of the Neighbors with also meeting, uh, well, some well-known neighbors who've just been to Haiti. So George and Terry, come on up. We're going we're gonna to chat about their experience in Haiti, and you're, you're in for a treat. So Terry, I'm going to put you right in the center, George on the far side. That's so that if, if George gets green and wants to vomit, he can just look over at us and come our way. Right, George? <sighs> can you all see them? Yeah, look at all the people. Just take a look, because they all love you. Take a look. It always helps me every Sunday morning when I'm feeling nervous. I just remember who they are. They love me. It's okay. Right? You all love them? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So George and Terry, uh, right at the end of last year and into the new year, they celebrated New Year's in, in Haiti, didn't you? Celebrate New Year's yes. in Haiti, in the country of Haiti. It's an island off the coast of, of the U.S. It shares, uh, shares the island with the Dominican Republic, and uh, they were there on a learning mission with the Covenant Church. Uh, a number of other churches, uh, Lake Ridge Community Church out of Chestermere and College Park out of Saskatoon, uh, members of those uh, communities went, and, and then and George and Terry from our church. And they were in Haiti, uh, and I'm just going to have them share a little bit. And we have a video that Dan uh, very helpfully made for us. And I'm just going to hear a bit about their experience there. So, Terry, yes. Terry uh-huh. is going to start by giving us a little overview of the week. Now, I cautioned her. Not to try to give you every detail, but she is going to give you a sense of how the week went. Terry, give us give us the highlights. Yo, yep, George. <laughs> yep, you're on. You're on. Uh, Terry and I would just like to take a second to thank each and every one of you for your <clears throat> thoughts, prayers, financial support, and allowing us to represent the Erickson Covenant Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was truly amazing and life changing. Awesome. Which we'll hear more about. <laughs> Terry, give us an overview. What was it like? Ah, Jesus, a lot. Um, <laughs> um, January 1st is our day one. We landed in Cape Haitian after how many hours of flight? A lot. Yeah, a lot. Um, on our arrival to the village of Potland Bay, which is outside of Cape Haitian, uh, about an hour's worth, um, the roads are extremely poor. Uh, I would say switchback roads would be um, a fair comparison. We walked over to the university to take part in the Sarepta feeding program for the seniors. The Sarepta program was initiated by one woman, Madam Mark. Over 12 years ago, Madam Mark noticed the elderly people in her um, Sunday service passing out, passing out, fainting, mm. um, completely due to hunger. So Madam Mark and her family and others started feeding the people. George and I witnessed on the Sunday, on the upcoming Sunday, an elderly man passing out in front of us. Uh, The need is real. Um, They're not eating. Day two, uh, we took in a morning hike where we became fast friends with many of the local children. Um, And no need to speak English. Um, They don't care. (laughs) They don't care. In the afternoon, we toured a few aquaponds, and an aquapond has houses tilapia fish, and they are used for a feeding program. 
self-sustaining fish pond, Nile tilapia are used because of their rapid growth. In three and a half months, they can weigh up to nine pounds and are reproducing and ready for harvest and selling. Day three, our Wednesday morning we spent with Earns, a local farmer that is supported by the Covenant Church. When he receives, where he receives uh, training tools and seeds, when his land or pond is ready for harvest, a portion of the food is then given to the Sarepta Senior Feeding Program. Oh. Doing good. How's the auction? Excellent. Grace? You're doing five, amazing five, pacing. This Excellent. is really, really good, Terry. Okay. <laughs> Wednesday afternoon, we headed to Petite Aunt's. Um, this program um, was the hardest for me. Petite Aunts is a children's feeding program, an hour to travel to come to a suburb of Cape Haitian, a community of people built from the garbage and dirt engulfing the ocean floor. My gut is in my throat. We begin to make our trek through the maze of tin shacks housing families. We come to a tin shack the size of our library, with, which is overrun by 120 kids or so waiting for food. Rice beans and a sauce that may contain chicken and a glass of water is fed to these children twice a week. Their mothers prepare all day, serve and clean up, and are only paid with an extra ration of food for their families. It is here where I felt a child's distended belly. I, feed, I pick up a child and she collapses in my arms. She's being teased by other children around her and I don't know why until I pick her up and the child has no um, panties on. Um, but the laughter of children is overwhelming and it, it pushes all the, the sorrow away. And uh, I laugh until I cry and the child that I'm holding is, is um, she's okay. She's okay, this is, this is normal. We arrive back at, at um, at our um, hostel, our house, our, that we're being held or supported by at 8 p.m. that evening. Day four on this day, we visited the uh, Sante 2000 Project, the medical clinic in Hopeland Bay, and Dr. Mono. Uh, the waiting rooms are filled with people. We learned the magnitude of, di of disease. We then set off to visit Pastor Mackey in the orphanage he runs for 10 children and where his congregation worships the same Jesus. With each day, prayer is the staple and each day food comes. Our afternoon is filled with cleaning the hall and selling a tarp for Pastor Mackey's tilapia pond. We're on fr Friday now. Friday we prepare for the diabetic clinic. The purpose of the clinic is to inform people about diabetes. Uh, diabetes is a disease that is genetically uh, found in the Haitian people and is manageable, but they are not aware. Um, many, many, many people share the same room, this common disease of diabetes. It is not voodoo. Tables, chairs, greet people, serve food, and clean up. This is what we are to do this day. About 120 people arrive by all means of transportation. One eyewitness, a son, piggybacks his mom into a chair after arriving by motorcycle. She is unable to walk. Many are missing limbs. 
All people are fed immediately a plate of food and water. So many suffer in silence. An elderly woman that I witnessed walk in in her beautiful purple um, dress and matching hat, within 30 minutes of her eating, she's in distress. Quickly making her way to exit and crying, but not wanting anybody, anybody to help her, I realize that she has lost her bowels due to the food. When is the last time that she ate? Day six, Saturday, we meet with Ernst and Jeff to visit more farms and aquaponds. New Nauta tilapia fish arrive. Uh, day seven, the last day, a Sunday service in Hopeland Bay. Two services each Sunday that bring a three-hour-long service. So <laughs> for those that are upset with our two services, that's six hours. Metal chairs. <laughs> Not a good thing. <laughs> they have a 50-person choir. And they were amazing. Um, the weather's a cool 34 degrees. People come from all over the island, mainly by foot, walking great distances in their finest outfits. A gentleman faints. The worship is amazing. And the <laughs> pastor instructs his people to live every day as they do on Sunday with love and kindness. Our afternoon is spent at a local beach where we are se uh, segregated from the Phoenician people. Well, you can keep holding that. Uh, that was a quick overview. There's a lot of stories locked in there. You understand that. And, uh, you know, those are just highlights. But they might give a little bit of context now. We're going to watch a video from pictures that were put together by the team. Dan, put, Dan Mawson put them together. And uh, you'll see ponds. You'll see feeding programs. So you'll, you'll be able to maybe put some uh, images around. Yeah, maybe if we could, uh, Rose, if you could shut those lights off there, that'd be great. Um, and give some context for the stories you heard. So go ahead and play that. Oh, that's great. Capturing just a little bit. I know that each one of those pictures, there's stories to go with them. So we encourage you to ask the stories, uh, you know, uh, more stories about that. George, I know when we met, you talked a lot about some of the significant people you met there. And, of course, that's a, a, a huge part of any kind of trip like this. Um, but was there a person in particular that stood out to you, someone you'd like to share about with us? Um, <coughs> pardon me. Actually, yeah, there were several people um, that set out. Jeff Earns and with the Garden and Fish program. Jessica with the Petite Aunts program, which is feeding children. <coughs> uh, but the one that had the biggest impact on me was Dr. Mount. <coughs> pardon me. By far. Um, this man is truly amazing to see what he does with so little. His heart is just huge. Um, Dr. Mano really cares for his culture and his people. His heart and hands are in the following projects. I'm sure there's more that we don't know about. <coughs> the, Sant the Sarepta program, which feeds 100 seniors twice a month and breakfast every Sunday. The Petite Aunts Feeding Program, which feeds 160 children twice a week. The Sante 2000 Project, which, which is a diabetic program that started three years ago with 30 participants and now has over 300 people attending. His medical clinic, Dr. Mano and his staff see a record number of people daily, and most can't afford to pay him for their treatments. Dr. Mano, um, uh, sorry about that. Uh, where was I here? Can't afford to pay him for their treatments. 
he makes $250 a month for all his efforts, and that's paid through the Canada Covenant Church. Um, he's a truly amazing man who's making a major impact in his community. You know, the last thing, George, uh, and George has more to say about Dr. Mano in a less nervous context, right? <laughs> he'll, 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 he'll go on for a while about him. Um, he's an amazing guy, and we've uh, known him for a long time as a Covenant family and supported him, so that's really great. Um, you know, in the last number of weeks, um, we've been looking at Epiphany in our, in our Sunday morning settings, and this morning we're starting a new message series, but we've been looking at Epiphany, and really those times where we, we experience like an opening of our minds to see, see God in a new way, see what Jesus is up to in a new way. So I'd like to ask you both the same question, but I'll start with you, Terry. What has Jesus been teaching you through your, through your time in Haiti? My epiphany. I'm a servant, and um, and I had not thought that that was an okay thing. Sorry. <laughs> um, throughout my childhood, teens, and most of my adult life, I have been able to cook, clean, serve wherever I needed to. It's always been easy for me. Um, while in Haiti, I again found myself serving, washing dishes, cutting bread, wiping up the mess. It's not a big deal. Even though I was told, don't touch the water, don't touch that, don't do that. It's like, ah, it's, it's got to happen. And it's sure not anything that anyone needs recognition for. This past Friday, George and I met with Tom uh, about our Sunday presentation. And, and then it happened. It was like, I know. I know. <laughs> From that day, I, from the day I was born, my father has made me this way. I am a servant, and I am good at it. It is something that has, be, has not been difficult or needed a lot of training because it has always been and is God's plan all along. Um, many of you know that I just I, we've come to Christ in the seven years, six years, somewhere in there. So that part of me has always been just, well, my grandparents showed me how. My mother showed me how to do this. It's not something that I would recognize as a God's gift. And, um, but I know, I know that is not true. I know, I know that's the way my father has made me. Mm. I know that with, with this very breath that I'm sharing it with you today, that I know that this is how God made me. That Jesus has been with me every step of the way, teaching me how to serve him by serving all of his children. And I am proud, so proud to be a servant of his. That's awesome, Terry. What an epiphany to see your whole life in a, in a different context, right? Yeah. That is amazing. George, I know that you've been wrestling with uh, what the Lord has been teaching you, and this is still a process. We're going to pray at the end, but the reality is, uh, say it, George hasn't actually slept since he got home from Haiti. And so, he sleeps. And, and he sleeps. is a sleeper. <laughs> and so the Lord is, you're still working some stuff out. You're, you're processing. But as far as you understand today, what is, what is Jesus teaching you from your time in Haiti? Um, I had a 10-second answer, but I thought this morning I'd better kind of, Expand that. Sure. 15. <laughs> 15 seconds. Excellent. Uh, so when you asked us that on Friday, I must say I, a fear came over me because I'm like, did I learn anything? Like, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. Right. It was it was crazy. So 
when we're walking out of your office, a question struck me, but it was the same question I asked on day one in Haiti, and that question was, can we make a difference? Can one person actually make a difference in this world? Um, so I'm going to have to tell a quick story going back to day one. We arrive at the airport. <coughs> it was hot, like the heat wave came over the plane. We walked across the tarmac. <laughs> we take about 45 minutes to go through customs, immigration, get our luggage. We're excited. Um, walk out the door, and there's like 50 guys come charging at us, wanting to help with... Yep. Yep. <laughs> wanted to help us with our luggage. So I was like, wow. And, you know, getting into a tug of war because I didn't want to give up my luggage. Um, <laughs> finding that Dr. Mana was out there and just kind of said in Creole, they're with me. And they parted the sea for us and we made our way to a van. Um, now there's nine of us getting into this van. And Terry and I, being a little shorter, thought, hey, it'd be great. We'll make a first impression. We'll get in first. Well, I don't know if you ever rode in the van on bumpy roads. The back seat is not the best place to be. <laughs> but anyways, I stuck my foot into the van door, go to get in, the van starts rolling away. So I'm sliding with this van. <laughs> and then uh, Andy, who's about 6'3", grabs onto my waist, and we stop the van. At this point, I'm going, do I really want to travel an hour and a half in this vehicle? <laughs> uh, the driver comes out, smiling puts a rock under the wheel and gives me the thumbs up like, hey, we're good to go. So then we, uh, we start going down. Everybody piles in. We start going down the parking lot. We come to our first left turn, and that's when it was like <coughs> I got smacked upside the head, to be honest with you, because the amount of people that were there was just, I can't even describe it. The vehicles, there was trucks, three-wheelers, tap-taps. Majority were motorcycles containing two to five people, honestly. It was insane. Uh, there's garbage everywhere. There's animals, pigs, dogs, chickens, goats. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm in a movie. i got to be. So I'm thinking, holy cow, Terry must be going through the same thing. I should really comfort her. So I look over at her, and to my surprise, she, her eyes are wide open. She's smiling and taking pictures. I'm like, what is wrong with her? So I'm like, oh, yeah, she had a headache on the – maybe she took too much Advil. And then I, I look across the seat, and um, Jessica, who's in there? Thank you. Rebecca, who's 18 years old, a student, I'm looking at her, and she has the same look as to what I'm feeling. So at that point, uh, I remember putting my head in my hands and saying, I think I made a mistake coming here. Um, can, can we actually make a difference? Can I make a difference? So that took me back to the question coming out of Tom's office, it was like I was being asked that question. And after seeing all the people that we were with, Jessica, Jeff, Ernst, Dr. Mano, and our whole team, all individuals working together, we, we did make a difference. And then the time I got to Terry's office, I also had the feeling that it's not just there, it's here in Creston. And that's through, like, the Pickers Lunch, the Ministerial Hampers, um, the Soup Kitchen, Gleaners, all individuals working as a team, changing the community and the world. That was my aha moment. Awesome. Thanks, George. Well, thank you very much. We know that this is an ongoing process, not only for you, but for us as a congregation. But we do want to just pray. I want to pray for Haiti. I want to pray for the work that's being done there. God is at work there. 
and also his ongoing work in you. In particular, George, we're going to pray that whatever this is that God's trying to teach you and keep you, keeping sleep from you, that he'll teach it to you quick, right? Mm-hmm. You'd like to sleep? Love to sleep? Yeah, love to sleep. So anyway, we're going to pray for you guys and pray for you. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the people of Haiti. Your love for them knows no bounds. We ask your blessing upon that nation, upon those precious people, the men, the women, and the children, those who know you and follow you, those who have yet to discover your love and your freedom. We pray for the work that's being done there, that pray in particular for some of the programs that George and Terry were able to see, the feeding programs and the agriculture, aquaculture, as well as the diabetic clinic, and just the ongoing work of your church and your people there. We pray your blessing that you would fill up and strengthen people like Dr. Mono and Jeff and Ernst and Jessica and, and uh, Pastor Mackey and, and others who are there. Lord Jesus, would you fill them up with your spirit and bless them today as they are gathered and worship even now. And for George and Terry, their ongoing wrestling with, Lord, what you are teaching them through this and how you are growing them through this, I pray that you would deepen that in them, their heart for you, their heart for others, and their place in that as they try to figure out, Lord, what is your call on them? here in this valley, in Haiti, in the future. What, what is it, Lord? What, what are you saying? I pray that you would, you would just solidify in them uh, Terry's call to servanthood and seeing that in a new context. George's uh, deepening sense that one person really can make a difference, that a team of people, that a church can really make a difference. I pray that you would deepen that in them. I pray in particular for George's wrestling that's keeping him from sleep, whatever that is, Lord. I pray that he would, um, he would hear your voice. He'd respond to you. We do pray for sleep and for rest for him. Um, ask that your Holy Spirit would fill him and, and guide him in that. And for both of them, that your blessing would rest upon them. For us as a church, as we look to the future and consider future possibilities of relationship deepening in Haiti, perhaps others of us will go. Uh, perhaps there'll be ways that we can make a difference uh, there. And we just ask Holy Spirit that you would lead us and you would guide us in that pray your blessing upon your continued work there and here. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys, Thank so you. much. It's awesome. That right there. Well, we're going to shift gears pretty quick, and I'm going to give a little introduction to our new message series coming up. Now, George already told you that our Haitian brothers and sisters are just entering the third hour of their first service. <laughs> so no complaining from you folks if I go a little long today. Just doing that in solidarity with our Haitian brothers and sisters. Right? Well, it's good to be back here. I'm really excited to introduce this new series as we lead into communion today. Do you, do you guys like inspiring stories? How many love to read or hear a story that just inspires you? I do. I like to hear about them. Stories of how people maybe have overcome incredible odds or how they've grown through adversity or how they've come into an, a seemingly impossible situation and they've emerged out of it better than when they went in. Those are good stories to hear, aren't they? George and Terry shared some stories with us this morning of their time in Haiti and, and, and that was inspiring. It's good to hear inspiring stories. Even when life poses huge challenges, it's powerful to hear how people have, in the midst of that challenges, in the midst of those challenges, have learned to trust Jesus more deeply, have experienced God's goodness, 
God's grace right in the middle of it all, even when it seemed like, you can hear those stories, right, where it seemed like despair really is the only sane, rational option. And yet, somehow, they leaned into Jesus. Somehow, they kept trusting. They kept serving. They kept believing. Those kind of stories just blow me away. And part of the reason why we resonate with those kinds of stories is because we see ourselves in them. You know, we can imagine, even, even when the stories are more extreme, we can imagine even just a little bit what it would be like to be stuck in a POW camp or facing cancer or maybe wondering where our next meal will come from. By hearing other stories, we can take heart in the middle of our own because like others, when we're in the middle of our own mess, we can wonder, okay, God, have you forgotten me? Have you seen what's going on in my life? Has God's plan for me failed after all because I don't know how I'm going to get out of this? Or is God still committed to helping me overcome in the end? Well, I think by hearing stories from other people, by seeing how they have come through, by seeing how their trust grew in the faithfulness of God, how God always came through for them, I think that gives us courage for our own fight, doesn't it? It's one of the reasons why we keep coming back to the stories in the Bible. And for the next six weeks, we're going to explore one of the greatest Old Testament tales, the story of Joseph, the story of his tragedy and his triumph because of God's grace. Through this one man's story, we're going to see just how faithful God really is, even when it seems like it's all despair and darkness. We're going to see how God is faithful to his promises, faithful to his people, faithful to the plan he has put into place through them and for the world. Last year at this time, you may not remember, but last year at this time, we actually explored the story of Ruth and Naomi and the story of Boaz and how God was faithful to them. And if you uh, missed that series, I encourage you to go back and find it. It's on our ericksoncovenant.ca site and under sermons and podcasts. You can listen in and, and discover how God is faithful. We witnessed that through that amazing story. We're going to see it again in Joseph's tale that God never forgets. Now, you may not know much more about Joseph than the fact that Donny Osmond looks like Joseph and has an amazing Technicolor dream coat, right? Anyone? Yep. All right. Joseph is the 11th son of an infamous swindler named Jacob. And Jacob had a dad named Isaac, and Isaac had a dad named Abraham, and those are fairly familiar names for some of us. They're the big three of the Old Testament story of God's people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Big Daddy Abe, he's the one that got the biggest promise from God ever. It's, it's recorded in Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham and Sarah to leave their home, to leave their family, to go to a land that God showed them, and he promises to bless them, to bless their family, and that somehow through their family, they would then in turn bless the whole world. This is a huge promise, and it actually, it's really, really important to any of your Bible reading. It actually is a promise that then just arches over the whole of the Bible's narrative, the entire narrative, right through the rest of the Old Testament, climaxing in the coming of Jesus, and then into the church. It's actually a key promise that animates all of the story of the Bible. So that's Abraham. He's Joseph's great-great-grandfather. Now, if you've ever read any of these old family stories, the ones I'm referring to, they're all found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Um, They make some terrific reading, although some of them might keep you up at night. Um, If you venture into them, you find out something really quick. 
God may have chosen this family, but it wasn't because they were something awesome. It wasn't because they were particularly moral. (laughs) They weren't. It wasn't because they were nice. They weren't. God picked this family, and this family is a mess. Patterns of dysfunction get passed on from parents to children like guarded, precious family heirlooms. (laughs) The men of the family are pathological liars, it seems, and, and, and because of polygamy, women are constantly competing for affection and for dominance. One parent seems always to be favoring one of the kids at the expense of the others, and it just spawns after generation after generation. It spawns sibling rivalry, sibling hatred, and murderous ambitions. It's a real treat. You read it, and you think, my family's not bad. My family's fairly normal. Or for the darker among us, you think, I have a pretty biblical family after all. Right? Yeah. So dysfunction seems woven into their DNA, and yet God shows grace to this family. And in fact, he promises to show an even more expansive grace through this family to the whole world. Don't ever say God doesn't have a sense of humor or that he isn't very patient or he doesn't like hard tasks because, uh, you know, the stories of Abe, uh, Abe, Ike, Jake, and Joe would suggest that uh, it's you know, a little different than that. So, well, these patterns of power and anger and sin and favoritism, they come together right at the very start of the Joseph story. And we're going to start today by just hearing the first act of Joseph's story. We're going to open that, and then that story will lead us into communion. Let me read it for you. I'll make a few comments as we go. So I'm reading from Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, not his mom, right? Not his mom. And he brought their father a bad report about them. He's that little brother. Yeah. Now, Israel, that's another name for Jacob. It's a, it's a name he got later. That's another story you can read about. So if you hear Israel or Jacob, same guy. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented, amazing technicolor dream coat for him. Well, that's not in there. You understand. Uh, a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream. This dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. And suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright. Well, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to rule over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time, the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? 
Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And, and Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. So he went off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Oh, okay. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and, and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, one of his brothers, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben, Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites, which are like their third cousins, by the way. A caravan of Ishmaelites. Keep it in the family, you know. A caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother and our old flesh and blood. So his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up of the cistern and sold him for 20 bucks. I mean, 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, which took him to Egypt, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. What can I, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn apart. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of, Joseph, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Well, it's an incredible story. Here we have a meddling tattletale who's also a favored son, who's also a hated brother, who's also an immature dreamer. And in one scene, Joseph moves from the dreams of a favored son to the nightmare of a foreign slave. I wonder what he thought when he was down in that well. 
I wonder what was going through his mind as he looked up and wondered what his brothers were going to do. I wonder what he was thinking as he was drug up out of the well and the robe was torn off him and he was sold into slavery as, as his heels drug all the way to Egypt, as his family and his father receded further and further into the distance. I wonder what was going through his mind. And then he's hauled up on an auction block and sold off to the highest bidder. How would you have been feeling? Despair? Loneliness? Feeling wretched? Or maybe really, really angry? Like that rage is starting to boil and you're starting to imagine all the ways you're going to get back at those guys. Or maybe just confused. I mean, it becomes clear in the story later that these dreams Joseph receives are, are no joke. They're serious business and, and they mean stuff. And yet, and so what if Joseph had a sense of that and now this? Like, what about those dreams? Maybe, maybe, maybe they weren't true. Maybe God hasn't spoken to me. Maybe he wondered at that point if God had forgotten him altogether, whatever plans he had for him, whatever purposes he had for him. All of that and more was probably rolling through his heart and his mind. Few of us have ever faced a situation so dire, or ever will. But I'm willing to guess that we can resonate with the feeling of hopelessness that he was experiencing. The feeling of, of being out of control, like we're no longer able to dictate the terms of our lives for whatever reason. Perhaps some of us can, can really resonate with the feeling of being betrayed by family or friends. People who should have cared for you who didn't. People who should have looked out for you, in fact, hurt you. Or maybe you know what it's like to be in a situation where you don't feel like anyone really cares. Anyone really knows wondering if your whole life is ruined. And the question that can come to us is, has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten? This is the question that this opening story poses to us. It's actually where it leaves us today. But not without hope. Because when we look at the whole story of Scripture, we're struck again and again with God's incredible resourcefulness that God does have a plan for his people, that he had a purpose for Joseph, that he has a purpose for us, and that even when life seems to go wrong, when things get really rough, when we find ourselves stuck and despairing, that God actually never forgets his purpose for us. When we're going to see this unfold in the life of Joseph, however this darkness beginning looks like, but moving forward in the whole story, of scripture, we see this most vividly in the life of Jesus himself. And today we're coming to the table of communion, this sacrament of, of bread and wine, juice actually. Um, and, and this meal signifies the body and the blood of Christ who hung on the cross for our sin and for our freedom, the freedom and for the sin of the whole world. And during that darkest day, it appeared to all the world that God had forgotten Jesus that he had, in brutal, bloody fact, given up on whatever purposes he had had in mind for this humble carpenter-turned-rabbi. Either God just said, well, you know what, you know what, I tried, but people are just too evil, too hard-hearted. I mean, look at him lying there, hanging there, barely alive, squeezing out his last wheezing breath. I can imagine the world saying, clearly God has forgotten this guy. Gone. 
given up. But was that true? Did God forsake his son? Did he forget his purpose? Not at all. Not in the slightest. What we discover when we read the whole story, as well as the spirit-inspired interpretation of the cross, kind of the rest in the New Testament, we discover that not only had the Father not forgotten the Son, we discover that God was, in fact, right there. That God was, in the words of the Apostle Paul, that God was, in fact, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself through this bloody execution on an old rugged cross. That God used the folly and the sin, the evil, the hard-heartedness of humanity for his purpose. That God is so wise and so resourceful that he actually used our sin to work our salvation. That God was able to do an end run on wickedness. That, that, that he took this day of darkness when all the world rose up to reject Jesus. He took that day that moment and in an absolute master stroke he turned it to our favor to our good for our forgiveness that it's somehow (laughs) no one saw this coming somehow through the death of jesus our life is gained that through his suffering that we are forgiven through his rejection we are included that through the blood of jesus we're washed clean somehow cleansed But that's always been the way of God. And we see it, we're going to see it roll out here in Joseph's story. I know we're still early in his story and it's a rough start. But know this, God is going to use Joseph's prattling immaturity, his brother's seething hatred, his father's foolish favoritism, and even the wicked slave trade. He's going to use those things to, in fact, affect the salvation good of not just this family, not just the known world, but in fact, all of history. It's a fabulous story. God is incredibly resourceful. But that's what's coming in the weeks ahead. For today, we settle on this. However dark and despairing things may become, God never forgets. He never forgets. Deep in a pit, bound in chains, sold off at auction, God never forgets. Whipped to a pulp, mocked by a crowd, hung on a cross. Say it with me. God never forgets. He never forgets. And as we come to communion today, that's what we remember. We remember that God never forgets. That even now, regardless of what may be going on in our lives and with our health and in our family and with our finances, regardless of what may be going on in the larger society or the affairs of the world, regardless of what might be happening, God never forgets. He never forgets his purposes. God is still at work. God is resourceful. God is wise. God is able to use even the difficult, even the evil, even the destructive and the foolish, let alone the joyful and beautiful and willing servants. He's able to use all those things to bring his life and salvation and good to the world. And if that weren't true, we wouldn't be coming to the table of communion. And yet here we are, and we are coming. We come today to remember that God never I'm going to invite Dana to come up and join me at the table as we transition to communion.